You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Well, friends, welcome this morning. My name is Spencer, and I'm the pastor. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading from Matthew 28 today. I encourage you to follow along with us. This is part two of a series called uh, Go, where we're looking at one of the most famous passages of Scripture. It's called the Great Commission. We're looking at this every week in this series, just from different angles as we go through this. And, and here's why we're, we're looking at this passage. When I arrived on July 1st as your new pastor, I then spent the next eight weeks uh, doing a, a listening tour with about 200 some odd people from the church where we met in living rooms, met in Sunday school classes just across the city and, and here, at, here at the church. Uh, did 19 of these small group gatherings and I was asking questions of the church, the same questions out of, the, out of each, each session and, and getting those answers and just listening to, to where the church was at and what was on the church's heart and, and where the congregation was at. And, and at the end of each one of those sessions, I always asked the same question. What do you want to know from me? What, what question do you have for me? Because I've been listening the whole time. And so, you know, what do you want to hear from me? And, and each one of these sessions, almost, almost every single one of them asked the same question. Spencer, what's your vision for the church? And so this series is, is uh, the beginning of answering that question about, uh, about vision for the church. Now, when I say vision for the church, I don't mean to say that I've got like a vision statement crafted. I don't have goals and objectives or a five-year plan or anything like that. There's no budget put together. But rather, what I wanted to share with you through this month was just some ideas that are, that are central to who I am and some things that drive me as, as a pastor and some things of, of why it is that I do the work that I do, why it is that I, I said yes to this kind of work to begin with, and, and what is it that, that is on my heart. I want to share this with you and, and just kind of peel back the curtain a little bit and let you see some of what, what drives me. And so we're looking at Matthew 28. This is a, a fundamental passage uh, for the church about the work that we do together, about what it is that God's called us to do, and certainly it's something that's front and center in my heart and my mind. So Matthew 28, we're reading the same verses every week, uh, starting in verse 16. This is the last paragraph paragraph of the gospel of Matthew. And here's how it goes. It says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. It's by the way, 11 disciples, because Judas is already out of the picture. He's betrayed Jesus. The cross, the resurrection's already taken place. So it says the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, that is Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, it says they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the, the Great Commission. Famous passage of Scripture describes the work that we're to be doing. This is part two. Last week, part one, we looked at the, the beginning part of the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth was given to me. And we, we looked at how when Jesus is saying this, he's really talking about the resurrection, how the empty tomb is the reason for us going to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. The whole, the whole purpose of this work that we have to begin with is because the tomb is empty. That was, that was last week. This week, we're going to look at, at, a, at a core idea here, a, a really simple core idea here but we see it in the main phrase of the Great Commission. The main phrase of the Great Commission being this, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. We are told that we are to go and do this work, and, and a natural question emerges. Well, we are called to go. So here's the question I want us to ask this morning. To whom are we called to go? Where are we called to go? What is the place that we are called to go to? And what is it from the sky? This is not like a trick question. It's very obvious. It's right there on the screens. What is the answer? All, all nations. That's, that's the answer. All nations. That's where we're called to go. All nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. That word nations, in the Greek that this was written in, it was the Greek word ethne, which is where we get the English word ethnic. This idea of going to all nations is, is implies that we are to go to people who are not like us. Is to go to people who are in different places, people who, who, who don't believe the same thing or talk the same way or think the same thing as, as we do. It implies that, that we're not just to stay in, in our own bubble of friends, but rather that we are called to go into, into all kinds of places. It also implies that there is nobody who is too far gone, that there's, that there's nobody who's, who's too far away, that there's nobody who has too many problems or too many doubts or too many struggles or too, many, too much baggage or too many obstacles, that, that everyone, everyone is invited to come and follow Jesus. Everyone is invited to come and be a disciple of Jesus. Everyone is, is offered this opportunity. That's what this, this idea of ethne, this idea of, of, of nations would, would include is that is that this work that we have is, is for absolutely everyone. Therefore, go and make disciples of, of everyone because no one is too far gone. No one is a lost cause. No one is a lost hope. This invitation is for everyone. And this, this understanding here that this is for everyone, this is like fundamental to what it means to be a follower of Jesus and, and what it means to be the, the church and to do the work of the church. This invitation to follow Jesus is for, is for absolutely everyone. I, I would offer you that this word go is one of the most important words really in the whole Christian vocabulary that we are called to, to go and to share this with, with absolutely everyone. Um, but at the same time, there exists a certain... I don't know, temptation. Like, there's a certain struggle that comes with this call to go and make disciples of, of, of everyone. There's a certain struggle with this. Um, I've been a part of a lot of churches. I've been a part of big churches and really big churches. I've been a part of small churches. I've been a part of rural churches. I've been part of suburban churches and city churches. I've seen a lot of church. I've seen, if, if I exist, I've kind of like, I've seen it. And uh, in every church, like every church, not, not 90% of the time, but like 100% of the time, I, I have seen that there's a certain struggle that comes with this call of, of going and making disciples of, of everyone. Um, I served a church that changed its mission statement. And I don't remember what the mission statement was before, but the new mission statement was this, that the church existed to make 
new disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That was the new mission statement. And there are times, I'll just kind of level with you here between you and me, there are times as a pastor, as a leader, you know you're kind of poking the bear. Like you, you know you're going to ruffle feathers, you know you're going to offend somebody, you know that you're doing that, but you're doing that because you know it's the right thing to do. And there are other times where the bear wakes up and you're like, wow, I did not see that coming. And all of a sudden there's this, this offense that took place and you don't even realize what it is. So this church, through a congregational vote, changed its mission statement and we had multiple families leave. There was one word in that new mission statement that caused multiple families to leave that church. Can you guess what, what word was in that mission statement that caused multiple families to leave the church? New, to make new disciples of Jesus Christ to the transformation of the world. We had a town hall style congregational meeting and I was like floored how offensive that word new was to, to multiple families in the church. And the reason it was offensive was because, well, if we're going to reach new people, then who's going to take care of us? Like, why are those two things mutually exclusive? <laughs> why do those two things like, exist as polar opposites to one another, that, that you can't both reach new people and take care of, of, of us? Like, like, how in the world did, did that start to exist that, 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 that's there? Like, there's this certain temptation in church. And again, I've seen it in every church I've served. I've seen it in big churches and small churches and rural churches and city churches and suburban churches and satellite churches and mega churches. Every church I've been in has this, this struggle, this temptation to make the church about us, to make the church about our needs and our wants and what we get out of this and, and how this serves us. I mean, think about this for just a second. What is it that, that most people experience on a Sunday morning when they come to church? Well, they, they drive into a parking lot and park their car and walk across a parking lot that someone else has maintained. They come through doors that hopefully someone else is opening. They uh, come and drink coffee that someone else brewed. They eat food that someone else prepared. They get handed a bulletin that someone else printed. They come in and listen to music that someone else performs. They hear a sermon that someone else preaches. If they go to Sunday school, they go to a class that someone else leads. If they have kids, their kids go to a Sunday school class that someone else leads. And then they leave, and on the way home, what do they talk about? Well, first, where are we going for lunch? What time do the Chiefs play? And then third, they talk about, what did I get out of this morning? Like, well, well, how, did this, how did this speak to me this morning? Like there is this temptation that we have, all of us have it. I have it, you have it, all of us have it. And to pretend that you don't have it is to ignore the temptation because it is before all of us. To make the church about us, to make the church about our needs and our wants and what we get out of this and, and to miss this understanding that, that, that what Jesus is saying to us is there is a call to not stay and be comfortable and make this about our needs and our wants and our desires, but rather to go and to make disciples of, of everyone. Not, not just the people who are here, but, but also the people who don't know yet, who, who are far from God and aren't living in a relationship with him. Like, like there's this call to, for all of us to, to, to go in that way. One of my, one of my heroes is a Lutheran pastor the name of Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a, a Lutheran pastor in Germany in the 1930s. So think Germany, 1930s. This was his context. In a lot of European nations at that time, and still even today, a lot of European nations, uh, the state supports the church, like taxes support the church. 
And in those days when the Nazi party rose to power, uh, the Lutheran church that was there was, was being told what it was that they had to do, what it, what it was that the preachers had to preach. And so Bonhoeffer and some other people, they started to underground churches, illegal churches that, that were preaching against the state. And they were starting illegal seminaries that were training pastors to go to churches that were uh, preaching against the state. It was illegal kind of work that he was doing. And eventually Bonhoeffer was arrested, sent to a camp where he was executed just days before uh, the Allied armies came through and liberated the camps. Well, while in prison, Bonhoeffer wrote this, this line. I, just, I think this line is so compelling. I want to offer it to you this morning. Bonhoeffer wrote this. He said, the church is the church only when it exists for others. So let that sit with you for just a second. The church is the church only when it exists for others. The church is not the church when it is just for me. The church is not the church when it's just for us. The church is not the church when it's just about our needs and our wants and our desires and making us happy. The church is the church only when it exists for others, for the world. This is, this is the call that we have, that, that we are called not to stay and be comfortable and to make this about us, but rather we are called to go to make disciples of, of everyone. This is the call that Jesus has given us to do. I used to have a, a mentor who used this analogy. He used to say that for many Christians, we think of the church as a cruise ship. You think about a cruise ship. I've been on one cruise. Some of you have probably been on more than one cruise. I've been on a cruise ship, and, and a cruise ship is all about comfort. It's all about making sure all of your needs are met and that uh, the food is on time, that it's delicious, that the room is clean. It's all about comfort. And so my, this mentor I had, he used to say, you know, most Christians, we think about the church as, as, a, as a cruise ship, but, but we're not a cruise ship. We're like, more like a fishing vessel. We're not here to be comfortable and to make our, our needs met. We're, we're here because all of us have a job to do, and that job is to catch fish. Jesus called us fishers of men. This is what we're called to do. This, this work that we have is, is that we're called to, to go, not be comfortable, not stay, but to go and to, to make disciples of, of all nations, of everyone. And so you might ask, Spencer, what's your, what's your vision for the church? Well, again, I don't have like a crafted vision statement. I don't have a five-year plan or goals or objectives, but, but I'll offer you this. Um, Schweitzer's not here for us. Schweitzer's not here for our needs. Schweitzer's not here for you. Schweitzer is here for those who aren't here yet. Schweitzer is here for those who are living far from God. Schweitzer is here for those who are hurting. Schweitzer is here for those who need hope. Schweitzer is here as a witness of what it is that the Lord can do in everyone's life because there is no one who's too far gone. There is no one who's a lost hope. There is no one who's a lost cause. Schweitzer is here because God had this vision of, of a church here that could reach people. Like, this is why we're here. This is the call that Jesus has, like, collectively as a, as a congregation, as a church. We are here to reach people, to make disciples of all nations, of everyone that we can to share this good news of Jesus Christ. This is, this is why we gather. This is why we do what we do. This is why we care for one another. This is why we have fellowship. This is why we pray. This is why we have a choir. This is why we preach. This is why we do the things that we do is so that we can reach people. This is the, the driving heartbeat of the gospel is that we would reach people. And so there's two sides of this though. There's a collective side that we've been talking about this morning the Schweitzer is here, that, that we have this call to go and make disciples of all nations. But there's another side of this this morning as well, because not only collectively are we called to do this, but we're also called to do this individually. 
Like it's not just that we are called to go and make disciples of everyone, but also that like you are called to go and make disciples. Like you personally have a call as a follower of Jesus to live into this as well. And that there are people in, in your life that live in your neighborhood, that are in your family. There are people that you work with. There are people that are in your kids' or grandkids' schools that you have relationships with. Like there are people in every single one of us have people in our lives who are living far from God. And, and you, as a follower of Jesus, are, are also called to go and make disciples in those places, in, in, in those relationships, and in those ways that you find yourself in the world, that, that it's not just that we're doing this collectively, but we also, all of us are called individually to do this. And so as you think about your life and you think about the places and the places you spend time and the people you interact with, and you think about your life, here's a question that you, you should consider is, is, what does it look like? What does it look like in your life if you were to live into this call to go and make disciples? Like who are the people in your life that you are surrounded with, neighbors, friends, family, that God might be calling you to have an influence with, to, to make disciples, to share this good news with them because you have a personal responsibility to do this. Jesus isn't just calling us together. This isn't someone else's job. This is, this is all of our jobs together to do this. So what, what would that look like? Well, it looks like different things at different times. You know, maybe for some of us, if we were to say, I want to live into this call of making disciples, for some of us, it might mean that we start volunteering in a ministry here at the church. For some of us to live into this to call to make disciples, it might mean that we start looking for opportunities to care for those who are hurting or in need and like, like looking for opportunities, not just waiting for them to come. For others of us, maybe it means that we take a, a chance and we invite our neighbors to come to church with us, which by the way, if you ever invite someone to come to church, don't just invite them to come to church. Invite them to come to church like, with you, to come and sit with you and, and take them to breakfast or lunch afterwards, build relationship with them because, because that's a much more compelling way to do this and you can have conversations. So don't just invite them to come, but invite them to come with you. Or maybe what it means to go make disciples in your life is that the next time someone offers a struggle that they have in their life, you don't just say, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. You say, hey, can I, can I pray with you? And not just... Hey, I'll pray. I'll be praying for you later. But like, actually, can I pray with you right now? That's an incredible evangelism tactic, by the way. Just offer to pray with people. Maybe what it means is that there are people in your life that you have opportunities to share with them the difference that Jesus has made in your life. Like, I don't know what it looks like. There's different opportunities that come before all of us. But the truth is that all of us have a responsibility to share this good news message that God has given us to go to make disciples of absolutely everyone. And I'm gonna be honest with you here. I think this call to go is intimidating. And as we're talking about this morning, I bet I'm not the only one who thinks that. I bet there's others of you who also feel like this is a little intimidating. We're talking about sharing our faith this morning. That is intimidating, it is scary. Some of us here probably feel like that's, that's scary. It's scary to think that maybe the Holy Spirit's calling me to go and do this. And maybe for some of us, there's actually specific people that the Holy Spirit has put in our hearts and minds this morning as we're talking through this. I'm like, oh, I need to invite them to church. I feel like God's maybe calling me to do that. And that is intimidating. It is scary to do that. And so I, I was thinking this week, like, why is it so scary to share our faith? Why is that such an intimidating thing to invite someone to church or to offer to pray with someone? Why is that so intimidating? I just, I just like jotted down a few ideas, I, like just a few 
off the top of my head, a few reasons why it's sometimes scary to share our faith. So here's just like off the top of my head, a few reasons why, what I came up with. <laughs> There's lots of reasons why it's scary to share our faith. And it's lots of reasons why it's intimidating to do this. And, and we don't feel like we're equipped. We don't feel like we know how. We don't want to be like disrespectful. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that, that it's intimidating to share our faith. And yet this is the call that God has for us. Go and make disciples of everyone. This is not someone else's job. This is your job. And so this morning, I want to end here and get practical. I'm going to offer you a word here that has been helpful for me. Maybe it'll be helpful for you, but there's a story that I have come back to over and over and over again when I feel intimidated by this call, because I feel intimidated by this on a regular basis. And so there's a story in the Bible that I have come back to over and over and over again. It has shaped how I pray about this. It's shaped how I think about this. And I want to offer it this to you. If you're somebody who like, I want to live into this call, but I'm scared out of my mind to do it. Here's a story for you. It comes from the book of Acts, chapter 3. Peter and John are walking through Jerusalem one day. There is a beggar who is lame. He cannot walk, and he asks Peter and John for money. Peter and John have no money, and so instead, Peter looks at this guy and has like one of the best lines in the entire Bible. He says this to him. He says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. The guy starts to walk. He jumps. He dances. He's celebrating because he has been healed. The authorities hear what's going on, and they come and arrest Peter and John because they think they're starting a riot. They go to prison for jail for the night. They spend the night in jail. The next morning, they're brought out, and they're tried, and, and they're, they're accused of, of starting a riot. And Peter and John take the opportunity again to share the good news about Jesus Christ with the authorities. And when they hear the story of Jesus, they just kind of like roll their eyes because they don't believe, and yet they still take the opportunity to do this. Peter and John are threatened, and they're sent out. So after they're sent out, though, I want you to I want to read to you the response that they had to that time where they were intimidated and scared and bullied into not speaking about their faith. This is now Acts chapter four. So start in Acts three with the healing. Now it's Acts chapter four, and here's what it says. It says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. That is the church, the congregation, the fellowship. And they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, listen to what they did. They raised their voices together in complaints. I'm sorry, in prayer to God. They don't complain about their situation. They, they pray to God. Here's what they pray. It's a sovereign Lord, they said. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And they skip ahead a little bit. They describe what it is they're going through. It says, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. That's the history of what they've just experienced with the crucifixion of Jesus. Verse 28 says, They did, that is, they did what your power and will had decided, that is, the authorities beforehand should happen. And then verse 29, listen, this is the crux of their prayer. It says, Now, Lord, consider their threats. Consider how intimidating this is. Consider how scary this is. Consider how, how we don't want to do this. Consider the risk that we run in this. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. 
Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Notice, they're intimidated, they're scared, they don't want to do it. And so what do they do with that, with that fear? They pray, they pray. And what do they pray for? They pray for it to be easy. Do they pray for it to be comfortable? Do they pray for ability? Do they pray for open door? No, no, no. They pray for boldness is what they pray for. They pray for boldness. If you're somebody who, who hears this call, go and make disciples of all nations, and you believe that it's for you, that God is calling you to share your faith with the world, and yet you're intimidated by it, here's an idea. Pray about it. And here's what you can pray. Like the early Christians, pray that God might give you boldness. But here's a warning. If you're going to pray for boldness, be prepared for God to put you in situations that's going to require boldness. They don't pray for ease. They don't pray for comfort. They pray for boldness. Friends, you have a call. You personally have a call to go and make disciples of all nations. Friends, our church has a call. Our church has a call to go and make disciples of all nations, of everyone, because there is no one who's too far gone. There is no one who's a lost hope. There is no one, there is no one who is too far from, from what God can do in their life. And God wants to use us to reach them, to reach everyone, to reach people who are far from him. And so this morning, what we're gonna do is something a little different as we, as we close. Actually, this is like my 10th Sunday, so I don't really know what's different and not different, but here's what we're gonna do this morning is um, as we close the sermon out this morning, we're gonna, we're gonna symbolize this call that we have. And uh, we have oil up here in, in the front, and, and what we're gonna do is, um, if anyone would like to, we're gonna anoint you with oil. Because there is this tradition in the Christian church that we look at uh, people who are set apart for the work of God, set apart to be missionaries, set apart to serve God in some way, and there's this tradition in the church that's, that we take oil and we, we put oil on their, on their hands or on their foreheads. And, and the tradition from the scriptures that this oil is a symbol that, that that person is being set apart for a purpose. They're being set apart for a purpose to be used by God. And this morning, what we're going to do, we're going to sing a hymn in just a second. And, and as we close the, the service, you're going to be invited that if you would like to claim this purpose for yourself, if you'd like to say, you know what, I'm, I'm intimidated by it, but I believe that God is calling me to be the kind of person who goes and makes disciples. Then we're going to invite you forward. We'll have stations across the front, and we'll just put a little oil on your forehead or your hand, whatever you would want, and set you apart because you have a purpose, and your purpose is to go and make disciples. I'm going to pray for us, and then if you'd like to be anointed with oil, I'm going to invite you to come forward. Father, I thank you today. I thank you today that you have given us one another that you have given us a church, a family, a body to belong to. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us one another, but we don't exist just for one another, but rather we exist for the world. That others might come to know Jesus Christ and the power that he has in our lives, that others might come to know the saving power of Jesus for them. Lord, would you use us to be people who make disciples, people who share this good news with the world. There are people in all of our lives who need to hear this message, who need to hear this good news message that God loves them and cares for them, has a plan for them, and through Jesus they can find healing and wholeness. Would you use us to share this message with the world?
with everyone because there is no one who's too far gone. There is no one who's too far hopeless. There's no one who's a lost cause. There's no one. There is no one who has too many doubts or too much baggage that you can't meet with, that you can't save. And so today, Lord, we open our hearts and our minds to you. And for us who are intimidated, we ask that you might give us boldness, boldness to share a message that you've given us because there's a purpose here for us that we might go and make disciples of all nations, of everyone. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.